he included me this time. This morning he just said, eh, whatever, he doesn't need it. <laughs> so um, about 17 years ago, um, my sister got married, um, and she asked me to officiate the wedding. Every time I say um, I married my sister, that sounds bad. So I, uh, she asked me to officiate the wedding, um, and she wanted to get married in San Francisco because she wanted uh, the Golden Gate Bridge in the background and then the San, and San Francisco on the hill. And so she picked the best time of year, October, um, which if you know anything about San Francisco, that's when all the fog rolls in, and it doesn't leave until ever. Um, so it was a beautiful gray day, um, freezing cold. I had a jacket. Everyone had a jacket on except my sister who had a, a sleeveless dress on. And I thought and as soon as we got up there, the first thing she says is, hurry up. Like, <laughs> so that was the shortest wedding I ever did. It did in 10 minutes. Um, but she wanted to get married in San Francisco. And I have a love-hate relationship with, with San Francisco, mostly hate. Um, and you might think, oh, he's being facetious. No, I'm not. Um, I used to love San Francisco. Growing up, my family would go there. Uh, we lived in Northern California. We would go there. We'd go down to Fisherman's Wharf, have wonderful clam chowder. Uh, we would go to Chinatown. We would go to Japanese Square, which is, you know, we called it Japanese Town, but it was just a small, basically just a mall. Um, and so we did all these different things. And, um, and so I used to love it, but as I got older, I started not liking it as much. And one of the reasons is because of that trip. My parents had got a hotel in the heart of San Francisco. And Marika and I were, were either, I can't remember if we were almost out of college or we had a year left or we had one more or we had just gone out of college. But we were driving up there, and it was a horrible time driving up there. We were in this little car, almost had an accident, all this stuff. We get to San Francisco, and if you've ever been to San Francisco, anyone been to San Francisco? Oh, you know it, right? It is like, who designed this place, right? Um, and so we're trying to figure out, it's before GPS, so we have a little map, and we're like, how do we get to this place? So we're trying to go down all these one-way streets, right? And then you go down the wrong one, so you have to go to a different one. And then that's a, a wrong turn, and you know all this stuff. So we finally get to this point. We're on a one-way street. Another one-way street goes this way. Our hotel is right here, okay? Like, we're next to our hotel at this point. And so we get into the left turn lane, and the person in front of us turns. The person here turns. There is no way to go forward. So what do we do? We turn. And that's when it happened. The blue lights come up in the rear mirror. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? Yeah. So I pull over, and he says, um, that, you, that is an illegal turn that you just did. You can't turn left onto the street. I said, well, why not? People turn. There's no sign. And he goes, I mean, there's no way to go forward. He goes, well, there's a sign there that says no turn. And I'm like, well, go get the other people. You know, and and it was just it was that one thing that nail in the coffin for me was San Francisco, and then uh, several years later I took a group of teens up there. Thank God for GPS, because that that saved me, because I would have um, left them several times, um, and so but so this idea of 
being on the one the one way and doing it the right way um, is what we're going to talk about today. So, um, for those of you that are just coming in, we're in a we do a fall sermon series every year on apologetics, and what apologetics is is the defense of the faith. So, in Second Peter, it says to give an apologia for your faith or a reason for your faith, and so that's I think someone's lost. Hello, <laughs> um, and so. That's what we do every fall is we, we go through an apologetics thing. And so this past year, I read an article from Christianity Today where it talked about it, this Legionnaire Ministries uh, survey that surveyed uh, a swath of the American people. And they asked several or they made several statements and they just said, do you agree or disagree? And so they came up with the article was five heresies that are going on to, in the modern church. And so we have been going through these. We're going to cover four weeks because two of those we combined into one. But in that first week, we, this was what we talked about, was the Bible. So about 50, I think it was actually 58, I said 56 earlier, but it's 58% of, of evangelical Christians okay, believe that the Bible is not true. Okay, so 58%. Say the Bible isn't true. And so what we did was we went through and we showed how the Bible is internally true, meaning it's, it doesn't have contradiction and that it's logically consistent with the subjects that it, it purports or deals with. So it's internally true. And then we talked about how it's externally true, meaning that the same Bible that you have in your hand is the same Bible that the, we have the earliest full copy of the Bible at 305 A.D. Okay, so at 305 A.D., that Bible, if you could read Greek, you would have the exact same Bible you have in your hand right now. So it's been consistent all these years. Okay, That's not including, did you know that we have 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament? Do you know that? Well, you should because last year I told you about it. All right. So, um, so it's both internally and externally consistent on it being trustworthy. So the issue isn't, is the Bible what they had back then? Or can I trust what the Bible says on the subject? That's not the problem. The issue really is, do I submit to what it says? Jesus says, I'm God. Do I submit to that? Jesus says, follow me. Do I submit to that? That's the real issue. And that's the issue that we have to struggle with, right? Uh, either I follow him or I don't. That's the issue. I either believe what he says or I don't. And we can do a lot of that in our own lives. Okay. The second week, we talked about Jesus. And I, I thought it was really funny. So Linda asked me the, you know, the week before, hey, what are you speaking on? And I said, Jesus. Um, which was true. Like, uh, I know that's a Sunday school answer, but so we talked about this. And so in the second week, there was two questions asked or two um, statements given, but basically they're the same one. Is Jesus a created being? Meaning, is he not God? Okay. Or is he less than the Father? That's the idea. And so, so that was asked. And so when we took both of those 
um, responses put them together as an average, we got about 55%. About 55% of evangelical Christians say that Jesus was a created being. And so what we did was we went through the, new, or the Old and New Testament and we looked in the Old Testament and we said, okay, here are these mystery passages, right? When they first are heard, they're kind of um, vague. And so passages like Isaiah 9 where it says, and a child shall be born to you and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, so we went into several of those verses that are mystery Verses. I call them mystery verses because they give you a hint of there's something more to God. Like there's something more. How can he be one and yet here's this child being born that's going to be called mighty God? How, how is that possible? Especially in Isaiah. In Isaiah you get that passage. And this child shall be called mighty God. Okay, but just, was it like 34 chapters later? You have God unequivocally saying there are no gods before me nor after me. So how can that little boy be called Mighty God? It's one of those mystery passages. But when we fast forward to the New Testament and we start looking at what Jesus says, it makes clear those mystery passages. Because he says, I and the Father are one. He claims deity, the same deity as the Old Testament. He claims the same name as the Old Testament God. So that Exodus 3 where Moses says, who sent me? And God says, Yahweh. Jesus claims that same language in the New Testament. He says, so in the Greek, it would be egoemi. So when Moses says, who sent me? God says, egoemi. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, egoemi, I am. He uses the same languages. And the, the religious leaders understood that because every time he said that, they grab stones and they go to the stone to kill him. And they say it's for blasphemy. And he asked them, why do you do this? He, they said, this comes from John 10. And he says, because you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. That's why they killed him. Okay? Because he was claiming this deity. So we walked away with this understanding that Christians must embrace and worship Jesus just as fully as they would the Father and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because Jesus is fully God. And the way we say this in theology is he is Trinity. He is one God, three persons. You can't separate them. You can't conjoin them. That's just what he is. And so as Christians, even if we don't fully understand that, we need to say, okay, that's what I'm supposed to worship. I'm supposed to worship Jesus as fully God. So I will worship him as fully God, equal to the Father. All right? So those are the first two weeks. This week, and I got to tell you right now, this is so in every one of these sermon series, there's always that one where it's like there's a lot of information. It's going to be really, and you guys came to 11 o'clock, so that means you are fully awake. Okay, so no eyes rolling back, no glaze, okay? Yeah, pay attention, okay? But this is going to be one of those that's going to be heavy. And at the end, I had one person go out and they go, that was a lot of information. It was. Okay, um, and so, but so let's get into it. All right. So here is the legionnaire question uh, statement: God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. The big thing there is that first part: God accepts the worship of all religions. This leads into the idea that God accepts um, everything; that salvation is for 
all religions, that any path you take would be the right path. That's the idea here behind this question. Okay, So the evangelical Christians respond to this like this. If we could put that thing up here. 56% agreed with that statement. Okay? 56% of evangelical Christians agree with that statement. That means 56% believe that God accepts all religions, meaning that he accept, that any way you go, you will have salvation. And so we need to ask the question, is that true? Right? Because as believers, we need to follow God. You don't follow a pastor. You don't follow an, you know, some modern idea. We need to ask the question, is that true? All right? And I'm going to give you three reasonings today of why this is true, why, uh, or why this is false, why this is false, okay? And I know that a lot of times pastors do threes. I didn't do this because it's the perfect number. There are actually three reasonings, okay? Um, and so the first reasoning, where should we start? In the Bible, right? As believers, our basis is Scripture, right? I was telling the teenagers this morning, about alcohol, and as every single time I've had teenagers go home and say, Jeremiah says we can drink alcohol. <laughs> and I always tell them, no. do not tell your parents that, because that is not what I said. And I tell a parent, Jocelyn over here, and she goes, well, it doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> it's what the Bible says, and that's exactly right. right. So we as believers need to start with the Bible. So I'm going to give you the biblical reasons why God does not accept all religions. That there, is only, that there is only one path. So, here we go. The first one's Isaiah. Isaiah, and this is Isaiah 43.10. Isaiah 43.10, um, we have been talking about the last two weeks. It's a very important verse. Um, because in it, this is what God says. All right? He says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Okay, so we had talked about that last week and the week before. Um, and so what God is saying is, I am God, right? No gods before me, and none will come after. So there's no more gods created, so there's only him. There was never any gods before him, so he is eternal, right? He is the eternal God, only one, all right? But this is the important verse following that. All right, verse 11. I, even I, so he's really emphasizing, right? This is who he is, in the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. So he's saying in, in two sentences, I'm God, and there's no other gods, and I am the only one who provides salvation. Does that make sense? That's pretty clear, right? Like, that's unequivocal. Now, there are several other ones in the Old Testament, but we don't have enough time um, because I did a really good job this morning, and I'm sure all of you will be hungry enough after this. So, so the next one is in the New Testament. So we're going to fast forward to the New Testament, to what Jesus says. And this is some, if you've been in the church long enough, you've heard this, okay? So this is John fourteen six. okay? This is where Jesus is talking, and he says, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, right, comes to the Father except through me. Now, is that pretty clear? Yes. That's unequivocal, right? Yes. 
that's just straightforward. It says, I am the way. So there are no other ways, right? The way. The life. So there are no, or the truth. There are no other truths. And the life. So there's no other lives. And no one comes to the Father. Okay? That's pretty, like, clear. Right? As believers, we need to follow that. Not follow Jeremiah. Not follow another pastor. We follow Jesus. Okay? And he's pretty clear. He didn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. Some people come to the Father through me. No, he said, this is unequivocal. Okay? So it's, um, yeah. And so then, because of this, okay, you have his disciples listening to the things that Jesus says. Half the time, I'm sure. Um, but then we get this in Acts 4. Now, Acts 4, I think, is one of the most important sermons in the Bible south of Jesus. Because you hear the one on Pentecost. You might, if you're in churches, you'll hear the Sermon of Pentecost. But this is a really important sermon. Because this is Peter. And he's standing before the Sanhedrin, or the the religious council, the high council. These are the same guys that had a trial to crucify Christ. These are the same people. And now he's standing before them. And he's talking about salvation. And in verse 12, this is what he says. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Is that pretty clear? Here's Peter, the good Jewish boy. Okay? Later on, God, we just did this with the teens. God brings down a sheet and it has all this food on it all this and unclean animals on it and voices eat and Peter says no I've never eaten an unclean thing this is a good Jewish boy and here's this good Jewish boy saying there's only one name by which you can be saved and that's Jesus okay so this is really big stuff this is huge the Bible's very clear there's one God one Savior you can't get away from that. Right? That's the biblical reasoning. And for as a Christian, that's all we should need. But I want to give you two more reasons why this is right. The second one is... Oh, so did you get that last part? All right, go back. I'll, I'll, I'll spend some time. I'll tell a joke. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. All right, no one got it. All right. So the Bible claims that Jesus as God is the only path for salvation, okay? So that is what we talked about last week, or two weeks ago. I, I didn't actually speak last week, but you know what I'm saying, right? So when I say last week, I mean two weeks ago. All right, makes sense. Right, all right. So, all right, all right. So, <laughs> where are we? Yes. Yeah, so Jesus is the only path of salvation. You had your time, let's move on. All right, here's the second one. Philosophical reason. Okay, this is really important in apologetics because so often when you talk to someone about the gospel, they don't. Have, for Christians, we can talk about the Bible all day, and that's what we should live our lives by. But for non-Christians, the Bible means nothing. Let's be honest, right? And we can point to people and point people to the scriptures, which we should. But here is another reason why. Why? we can agree that Jesus is the only way of salvation. All right? 
So this is called the contingency argument, right? And we're using it because we've never used this in this church, okay? And I want to expand your minds, all right? So the contingency argument is a philosophical argument that falls under what's called the cosmological argument, right? Which is just how the universe came to be in existence, right? I'm going to try to do this as, as easy as possible, okay? Because I am not very intelligent, and so I have to have it like a third grader, all right? So I'm going to try to teach it like a third grader, all right? So, David, what grade are you in? Second. We're going to make it so David can understand it, okay? So, an argument, I'm just going to talk to you. An argument is not what you have with your parents, okay? That's an argument too, but an argument is what people think. Try to convince you of stuff, okay? When your mom says, go brush your teeth, okay? She's trying to convince you, right? Not to go brush your teeth, right? Okay. So, contingency argument, it has four what we call premises, all right? or four reasons why you should brush your teeth, right? Okay, so four, four premises. The first premise is this. Everything has an explanation to why it exists. Does that make sense? Yes. Everything has a reason, right? Of why it's here, okay? Does it, is it, can we agree that's true? Yes, that's true. Okay, so if, um, if you found... A, a watch out in the desert, would you think this watch just miraculously got here? Nope. The desert made this watch. No. no, right? You would think someone lost it. Someone was driving down maybe in their ATV or their you know, side-by-side, and all of a sudden it just popped off and maybe it's down there. Maybe someone got mad and threw it. But somehow you know that it didn't just show up there. It has a reason why it exists. You know that someone, at some point, you pick it up, you look at it, it's a knockoff brand of, uh, you know, of a better van, of a Rolex, and you're like, man, this must have been made in China, right? Or something. It, someone made this. You know instinctively that that is the case. And we know that for other things, right? Did you just pop into existence? Nope. No. Okay, no, you had parents, right? But did they just pop into existence? No, you have grandparents, right? And so, yeah, so that's true, right? Everything has an explanation to why it exists, right? Here's premise two. The universe exists. Are we all in agreement? Yes. Not everyone. There are beliefs that, no, the universe is a, a made-up thing, okay? You're a brain in the vat. But just the ability to have the brain in the vat, there has to be something more. Right? Some people say, well, we live in the matrix. Okay, well, still, there's a universe, right? So we can all agree that premise two is right, right? Right? Right. Right. Okay. All right. So the universe exists. So premise one and premise two, right? Reasons one and two. You're good? Okay. Are true. Number three is the, the crux. The explanation as to why the universe exists must be beyond itself. What that means is this. Did you pop into existence? No, something else caused you to, right? That's what it means. That the universe has to have something outside of it to create it. Because if it was inside of it, then the universe would be 
all around it, right? So it already exists. We know scientifically that the, the universe is not eternal. You guys have heard of Einstein, right? Uh, Einstein, crazy hair, right? Before it was fashionable. Um, he had, in the early 1900s, 19 teens, he wanted to prove that the, um, that the universe was eternal. Because that was the prevailing thought, the scientific thought and the religious thought for thousands of years. Okay? You go back into every creation story there is in religion, there always the universe exists eternally, except for one. We'll get to that. So Einstein wanted to prove mathematically that the universe existed eternally. But it never quite worked out. The math never quite worked. And so what he actually did was he would change certain things so that it would work. About a decade later, a guy named Hubble. Ever heard that name? Hubble Telescope. Telescope. He proved, because of background radiation, that the universe had a beginning. It was not eternal. You know what Einstein said to that? I could have proved that a decade earlier if I would have just believed it. We can, you know, going back to, there's truth that we can agree to, right? The Bible, but you have to submit to it, right? So, so the question is, okay, so if the universe exists and we know that it was, it did, it, it had a beginning, then something outside of it had to create it, and so the thing that creates cannot be the thing that it creates, right? So I, I'm my parents' son. Right? Yeah, I'm the creation. Right? Best thing they did. Um, so, they, but I'm not like my parents. I might look kind of like my, my, when my, my, when my wife calls and me and my dad were at work, and she didn't know who picked up because our voices sounded the same. Okay. But, but I'm not my parents. And so the idea here is that it has to be beyond it. Right? It has to be different. And so we look at um, the universe and we start asking questions. Okay? So this isn't going to be in your notes because apparently I didn't put it in. Um, but here we go. Sp- uh, the universe is spatial, meaning it has space. Right? And you can, you can know this because someone gets in your space, you know it. Right? So we have space, Right? So the idea here is this thing that created the universe cannot have space. Because if it had space, then something would be there. Wrap your mind around that, by the way. Okay? So before there was anything, there was just God. Wrap your mind around that. Okay? That's, but that's the idea. There's no space. No stars, no blackness, no nothing. There's just that thing, right? Okay? The next thing. That it has to be immaterial, meaning it can't be material, meaning it can't be this. Because this is a part of the universe, right? The universe is material. So it can't be material. Next one, the universe is natural, meaning it has natural laws, natural things like that. Okay? So this thing has to be supernatural, has to be beyond nature. Okay? Can't conform to the laws. And because it can't conform to laws, it has to be above the laws. Meaning it has to be all-powerful. So it has to be greater than the laws. Okay? To be able to put them into existence. 
Okay? The next one is, it has to be uncaused. Have you ever heard this um, question? I get this from, it doesn't matter who, it's just young people, older people. Who created God? And then you go, okay, well, God is eternal. And people say, yeah, but who created him? Okay, let's follow that logic. If God creates the universe, okay, the universe is over here. God creates, okay? And someone created God. Is God God? No, this thing is now God. But who created him? And okay, who created him? Who cre- there has to be the one, okay? The one eternal creator. Okay? That's how we talk about in theology. So in this, it's the same thing. You have to have that one uncaused thing. Okay? Something that wasn't caused. It was always there. Okay? So that's the next one. And the final one is God has to be personal. Okay? The reason why that has to be is because things are impersonal don't just create. They have to have a reason to create. Right? So why do you create a child? It's because you talk to this lady, right? Like that's where it started and it led to, you know, my parents, um, I can tell you the story of my parents, how they got together. My dad was doing construction. My mom was waitressing and he liked her, asked her out. That's how it started. And I'm the result of that. Okay. So that is the, the reason. But how did that happen? Because they were personal beings, right? They made a decision. You know, you know math, right? Okay. Everyone likes math, right? Um, math does not create numbers. Does that make sense? It just is, right? It's just math. We recognize it, right? We can see it. We can interpret it. You know why? Because we're personal. We have personality. We can actually do that. So this entity isn't just some entity that's just creating. It's purposeful. And we can actually see that this is actually goes into a different argument. Um, and so we're not going to get into that. Um, because that would be even longer. Um, but do we see? Does that make sense so far? Yes. Yeah, make sense? Yes. Okay, David's getting it and you're not... All right. So, if if three is true, then four is automatically true. Okay, the fourth premise: the universe exists because God created it. Okay, because God fits this definition. All right. Um, and so, the next step: one. This is the full argument. Okay, everything has an explanation. The um, to why it exists. The universe exists. It needs to have an explanation that's beyond it to exist. That explanation is God. Okay, so that is a philosophical argument of why. And that you can't just take one and be like, ha-ha, proved everything. There are literally dozens and dozens of these types of arguments. Okay? Um, and so, but, I want to go to the next, uh, next thing. Christianity is the only view that meets the statements of this argument. And I will tell you why. Right, going back, and we'll say all the we take all the worldviews and religions in the world, all right, 
And we're going to put, there's going to be three. I'm going to put in three broad categories. Atheism, meaning no God, right? Polytheism and pantheism. Polytheism is the belief in many gods. Pantheism is the belief that everything's a God. Or the universe is one entity and we're all just parts of it. Okay, So I'm putting that together. And then the last one is monotheism. Okay, uh, Belief in one God. All right. So first one, based on the four premises, if all are true, does atheism work? It cannot work. Why? Because there wouldn't be a God. Come on, people, the teenagers are getting it. All right. All right, so yes, no God. Okay, so that one gets thrown out. If premises one, the, one through four are correct, then atheism is out the door right at the beginning. Right? But now let's go to pantheism or polytheism. Like I said before, if you go into every creation myth, right, it's always the universe is eternal. Well, if premises one through four are correct, that's false. Right? And we, can, we know that by science. Right? Science agrees with that. Okay, so now pantheism and polytheism are out the door. So all that you have left is the monotheism religions. That'd be, and I'm going to top three. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Okay? Now I want to give you uh, just a, a hint of kind of why Christianity is the right one. So in Deuteronomy 8.15, I don't know if it's up there, but Deuteronomy 8.15, it says this. This is Moses speaking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Okay, so Moses is pointing ahead. Okay, now we do a book of the Bible every summer. And this, the last two summers we went through the book of Matthew. At the very beginning of Matthew, the whole purpose of those first four chapters is to connect Jesus to this point in time as the prophet that Moses was talking about. That's the first four chapters. So you know the Christmas story? That's about this, like that verse. So Moses is pointing to a prophet that people are supposed to listen to. So down there, listen to this guy. So who's more important here? That guy, right? That prophet that's to come. Listen to that guy. All right, I mean, and we already heard what Jesus said, right? I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's being exclusivary, right? Okay, so what about Islam? This is what Muhammad said in the Quran. It says, talking about the people of book, there's actually several of these verses. We, we did, I want to just give you a side note. We talked about this stuff with our teens this morning, and it was a completely different topic. Okay. And I had a PowerPoint there too. So it wasn't like I just was talking, all right? So this is just one verse that I didn't even share with them. So it's chapter 29 of the Quran, verse 46. It says, Do not argue with the people of the book unless gracefully, except with those of them who act wrongly, and say, We believe in what has been revealed to us and what was revealed to you. Our God and your God is only one, and to him we fully submit. So Muhammad is saying, Your God, Christians... We, we, we believe in him. So, Moses is saying, look towards Jesus. The, Muhammad is saying, look towards Jesus. What is Jesus saying? Only look towards me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, that means that Christianity meets all of the, the things in that statement. 
is I'm going to show you in our next reason why these two are wrong still. All right, so first reason, biblical. Second reason, philosophical. Third reason, religious. This is the religious reasoning. So now let's, let's step back and let's look at the big religions. Okay, we're going to look at Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and uh, Christianity, Islam, and then some others. All right? So, so here we go. Where am I? Oh. Okay, so here we go. This first one is about Hinduism. Okay? So Dr. David uh, Frawley, he is a, um, a Hindu teacher, and this is what he said. Hindu Dharma respects freedom of belief for all people, holding that there is ultimately one truth and the unity of consciousness behind all existence. Hindu Dharma states that each individual should be free to follow whatever spiritual path he or she feels most drawn to, or even no path at all. Translate that. Every path is acceptable, right? So in Hinduism, it doesn't matter what you believe, if you're on a path, even if you don't believe it, you can attain the salvation, if you want to call it that, um, of Hinduism. Okay? Let's go to Buddhism. Okay? Alfred Bloom uh, writes this. He says, With respect to the afterlife, all beings have been embraced within the compassion of Amida's fulfilled vows. Though they are saved, they do not know it, and therefore see themselves subject to karmic karmic destiny, but even with such a destiny, the retribution is not eternal, and the person eventually is born into the pure land. Again, everyone is saved. Okay? So those are two big, those are pantheistic religions. Okay? Everyone's saved. But let's go to Judaism. So the center for Jewish-Christian understanding and cooperation. Now, this is an orthodox, so they, they believe the scriptures as Christians believe, like as far as, yes, that is the Word of God, okay? They believe the Old Testament is the Word of God, okay? And so they work with uh, Christians, which I'm not objected to. But this is what they say. They have several points of what they believe, and this is 6 and 7. It says, our partnership with Christians, okay, this is from, writing from a Jew. Um, our partnership is in no way in no way minimizes the ongoing differences between the two communities and two religions. We believe that God employs many messengers to reveal His truth, while we affirm the fundamental ethical obligations that all people have before God that Judaism has always taught through the universal Noahide covenant. In imitating God... Jews and Christians must offer models of service, unconditional love and holiness. We, all, we are all created in God's holy image, and Jews and Christians will remain dedicated to the covenant by playing an active role together in redeeming the world. So what are the, the Christians, so the, this Jewish group is saying Christians are a part of this redemption work, the salvation work. Remember what Peter said, though, in front of all the Jewish leaders. There's only one name. Okay? So the Bible, so the New Testament disagrees with that idea. All right? So here's the next one, Islam. Okay? Where are we? Yeah. Okay, here we go. To achieve salvation, um, this comes from why Islam. It's an apologetics for Islam. To achieve salvation, one must accept the tenets of Islam, mainly the belief in one God, 
all the prophets and messengers, previous scriptures, the hereafter, angels, and God's decree. These tenets were taught by all previous prophets and messengers. Islam um, did not start with the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Rather, it was the religion of all prophets and messengers, starting with Adam. Therefore, the Quran teaches that previous religions, such as Christianity and Judaism, in their authentic and original forms, were based on the oneness of God. People who accept the message of previous prophets and follow them will also achieve salvation. Okay, there's a there's going to be a, a, a theme here. So you're saying now Islam would say, okay, not the pagan, not the Hindus and the Buddhists, but at least the Christians and the Jews have a path to salvation. Okay, so that's that's not as broad as Hinduism and Buddhism, but that still is pretty broad. It's more broad than Jesus. Okay, now the last two are groups that would. Say they're Christians, but they're, as we talked about before, the Orthodox beliefs they do not hold to. And these groups are the Church of the Latter-day Saints, or Mormons, um, and the Jehovah's Witness. So this comes from their official websites. Uh, for the LDS Church, it says, um, Almost every person who has ever lived on earth is assured salvation from the second death. Okay, So they're, that's a very broad. That's, that's in line with Hinduism and Buddhism. Okay. The one from Jehovah's Witness, is that they, they have little questions. And so the question they have is, do Jehovah's Witness feel, like, feel that they are the only people who will be saved? And it says, no. Many millions who lived in centuries past who weren't Jehovah's Witness will have an opportunity for salvation. So again, there is a, a path for salvation. The one thing that's constant is... Every religion gives room for Christians to have salvation. But in Christianity, there's only one way. See the difference? So for a Christian, I could be a Christian. And at the end, if I'm wrong, and there's many paths, I'm good. Because in those paths, I just have to follow. I have to be... a faithful in my religion but if the at the end if it's if scripture's true and there's only one way then i'm glad i followed jesus because he said he was the only way and i trusted that and now i have salvation so that's a huge thing right that if i follow jesus i'm good no matter what but if I don't follow Jesus, I'm not good at all. Isn't that crazy? That's how exclusive Jesus is. And so when Paul, Paul goes to the Athenians, he goes up to Mars Hill, and he's talking to these philosophers, these polytheists. This is what he says to them in Acts 17. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this be, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Who's that man? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And He's saying to these polytheists, look, God in the past gave you grace. Right? And one translation says it winked. God winked at it, okay? 
God is giving you grace, but now since Jesus came, there's only one way. And you guys better get on board. Now that's huge. And then they laughed him out. Like if you follow the next verses, they, some believed, some wanted more information, but most of them said, get out of here. He's talking foolishness. That's huge. And so, the, so our three reasons here, right? The biblical reason, Jesus is the only way. The, the philosophical reason, there can only be one way. The, and Christianity fits, fits that. The religious way, Jesus is the only one that says, I am the only way. Every other religion gives a caveat to certain people. The Christians have a good no matter what. Now the thought, and this will not be in your notes because I just added it this morning, the thought might have crossed your mind because it crosses many people's minds. And when I have this conversation with people, it always crosses people's mind, where people will say, well, what about all the people that don't hear about Jesus? That's a good question. And it should be answered. And I'll give you the answer in two verses. The first one comes from Romans 1, 19 through 20. Okay, it's not going to be up there, so don't look. Open your Bibles. That's what they're for. All right. So verse 19 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Okay, so Paul's saying, look, God's wrath is on wickedness, Right? especially those that suppress the truth. It says, then verse 19. Oh, so that was verse 18, sorry. Verse 19. Since that we may know about God is, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people who are without excuse. So what is he saying? You go outside... Look around, that should point you to God. Everyone has that, right? Everyone has that that's not looking at their phone. Okay? All of us have the creation. So all of us are in the same boat starting out. First 16 years of my life, I was in the same boat as the atheist. All I had was creation, and I knew there was a God. But I didn't want Him, so I didn't seek Him. But I knew there was something more than me. I just knew it. And so the nature itself points to God. And then, I want to give you this. Jeremiah 29, 13. You might have heard Jeremiah 29, 11. All right, for I know the plans I have for you. Everyone loves that verse. Okay, this is, I think, just as equal. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How great is that? That means it doesn't matter if you are in court sight and you go, man, I just need to know, God, I just want to, are you real? God says, if you seek me with your heart, I will, you will find me. There, uh, it doesn't matter if you're middle of the Amazon, middle of the Congo, out in the Middle East. If you seek God, God will reveal himself. How great is a God that He cares for every single person. And as soon as they seek, He's there. I'll tell you a story I shared with the um, uh, first service because I, I just this is one of my favorite stories, okay? Um, by far. There's this older Muslim woman sitting in her living room and she's flipping through radio stations in the Middle East. 
okay? And she's just flipping through, trying to find something. And she stumbles upon a person, a Christian, reading Scripture. And they're reading from Revelation 3. And they get to this point where it says, where Jesus says, And I stand at the door and knock. She takes that literally. She walks over to the door, opens it, and there's a missionary standing there like this. And he goes, uh, uh, uh. And she goes, I was told that, that you were going to be here. Come on in. He shares the gospel with her. She becomes a Christian. She, all she did was, I should obey that. Like, that's it. And God met her. And there's stories like that all over the Muslim world. And so God is seeking. We're just a part of this. We're, we're almost along for the ride. God's doing the work. We get to be a part of that. That doesn't take the the responsibility we have. We have been commissioned as believers to go and share the gospel. That's that's what we have been called to do. But guess what? God doesn't need us. He wants us to be a part of that. How great is that? That the God of the universe says, you know what? I'm going to do this thing, but I would really like it if you come along with me. How great is that? Because he doesn't need us. And yet he says, come on. It's It's like a little boy... That is just sitting there, and the dad goes, okay, come on, you can help me with the trash. And he jumps up into the truck, you know. It's like, that's us. We're that little kid going, yeah, I'll help. You know, really, you just mess everything up. But hey, that's all right. You know, hold the flashlight a little higher. Anyways, bad memories. No, good memories. Uh, But you know, that's us. God calls us, but God doesn't need us because he's seeking and saving the lost. And that at judgment, everyone will be judged on what, what they had. If they never heard the gospel, they still had the nature. They still had that. And so did you seek him? That's the question. And so, so that question, what about those that have never heard the gospel? They've heard the gospel of nature. They've had at least that. The psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, right? So it's there, all right? I've read tons of um, scientists' testimonies where they're just like, I I just had nature and I found God, okay? A little plug on December 4th, uh, that night, we're going to have a guy, um, I think his name's Scott, come out, and he's going to give a, Scott Giles or something like that, um, and he's going to give a talk on creation. So, our three approaches, you guys remember them? Biblical, philosophical, religious, okay? All of it points to being one Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it, okay? And so, my challenge for you this week is, if you're, if you're not a believer, Okay, I want to point you to the book of John. Okay? I think the book of John is one of the... Uh, my favorite gospel is Mark. Okay? There's reasons. Um, my second favorite is Matthew. There's reasons. My third favorite is John. Okay? The reason why is because I just, John is... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell you the things about Jesus. What he did, where he went. Who he is. John says, now let me tell you about the guy that loves me. Through that whole book, he, he never says his name. His name, John. But he always calls him, anyone know? 
the apostle Jesus was, the, the one that Jesus loved. That's the story of John. Here's this God who came down. That starts, that's how John starts out. This God who came down loved me. That's the story of John. So I always point people to the story of John. Read through that. See the, ex, the love of God right next to the exclusivity of God. Because he says, I mean, let's be honest. Someone who tells you a lie doesn't love you. Right? In that moment. They're not loving you because they told you a lie. But in John, Jesus is showing his love because he's not lying to you. He's saying, I'm exclusive. You've got to follow me. He's telling you the truth. So I want to challenge, if you're, if you're not a believer, read through the book of John. If you don't have a book of John, I have a book of John. It's just, it's like that big, that thin. It's a book of John. Right? It's free. Um, you can pay me back later. Right? This, for believers, and most of you are believers, so I want you to explore the cosmological and specifically the Kalam argument. Now you might go, what is that? Exactly. That's what you got to learn. All right? Um, so what you can do is you can take out your phone. Most of you have smartphones. Um, some of them are dumb. Um, but uh, you can take out your phone, go on Google, and just put in co- cosmological argument or Kalam argument. Okay? Just type it in there and expand your understanding. All right? Because here's the thing. Most people are not going to believe the Bible. That's just the way it is. God has to open that, right? I found that these arguments really do help with those that don't trust the Bible. Because we can start with the same thing we both have in common. That's the creation. That's what they're going to be judged on. So let's start there. And then we can say, see how that lines up with this word? That's why you should follow this word. Now let's go into that word. You know, it's a, it's a stepping stone. So I want to challenge you to expand your understanding. And David, do you still awake? Yes. Okay. Did that make sense, the whole thing? Yes. Okay, if I gave you a test, you could do it? Uh. That's right. Test, test is next week. Study up. All right. All right, I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are such a good and glorious God. We just thank you for all that you do for us. I mean, what could we have that didn't come from your hand? Lord, the blessings that you've poured out on us, just as this nation, you've given us this beautiful nation. Father, we have our our beautiful brothers and sisters from Canada. Lord, we just love you because we are one church. We are your church. We're not the Alliance. We're not the the Baptists. We're not the, the Assemblies. We are your church. And so, Lord, we just thank you because you have brought us into Jesus. We, we praise you because without you, what, what would we have, Jesus? What would we have? We would have nothing because we wouldn't have salvation. But, Lord, you, you're loving and kind towards us that you laid down your life for ours. And so I thank you. I, I thank you all on behalf of my brothers and sisters. And if someone doesn't know you today, Lord, that they would seek after you and that you would show yourself to them so lord i ask that you move by your holy spirit to as he indwells us that we would move forward mightily in the gospel message in the gospel work jump up onto that truck to help you out even though you don't even need us lord thank you for allowing us to be a part of it and we praise you in the mighty name of jesus amen